<laughs> oh my god, you absolutely nailed that. Hello and welcome to this live um, episode of the Commit to, the Commit to Six podcast. Apparently now. <laughs> oh, it's been a long day, and it's only twelve o'clock on a Monday. It's been a long week. I would pass you the I would pass you the monster. What's that? What black, what's have? the black one taste like? It's like black cherry. It is damn. It's for me. It is the best. It is unbelievable. I've not had that one yet. It's so good. Have you tr- actually? Here's one for you. So, Holland and Barrett. Uh, yes, not home bargains. I know it's a different, a different H and B. Um, Holland and Barrett are doing. Do you know how they've got the fridges for like protein shakes and stuff nowadays? They do the Coke Zero, but they do the green Coca Cola Zero, mm-hmm. and they do sour cherry Coke Zero. That is absolutely frightening. That is probably one of my favorite. And it's like 75p because like normally it's like one pound fifty for like cans of juice like that. But so I'm just going and just storm Andy up. gets They're so impressive. excited about juice. It's like oh my god, Mac be like when you go into the gym, there's like literally a whole I don't know wall full of Mac B. Yeah, I've got man. That's I've just been to Macro last week and got like the I've got a, sort of cases of them. We really need to get a sponsorship. Let's I know. Start a, let's start a petition. Get onto the petition for Westminster. The ESG podcast needs to be sponsored by Mac B. Let's get it done. Yeah, I think that Westminster is who sorts those things out. Actually, yeah. Exactly, Mac B. You should be listening. <laughs> right. Um. Do we have any questions? We have lots of questions. It's just been first check-ins, hasn't it? Yes. Lots of great questions. Yeah, some very good ones. You die first. Okay, no problem. Um, Okay, so Vicky, um, is there a nutritional or protein benefit to a pre-workout? Is it something I need or is that for serious athletes? And then she's put in brackets, can't think of myself in that way. Oh, that's interesting. Some people really push an athlete mindset, don't they? And they're like, you know, everyone is an athlete. You should treat yourself like an athlete, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of dispute that a little bit. It depends what you mean by athlete. I think sometimes having a bit of an athlete mindset is is good, but I also think it can hold you back massively. And it's like an athlete mindset is effectively like a bit of a perfectionist mindset as well, isn't it? It's like getting everything exactly right. But the question was about, do you need pre-workout? Do do you mean the pre-workout is in caffeine or was that pre-workout meal? I think... I think she means pre-workout as in like caffeine. Yeah, uh, no, you don't need. Well, your pre-workout powders. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, none of us particularly use. Well, do you, Catherine? No. Oh, I'll I'll maybe have like a monster before some of my gym sessions or a cup of coffee, but I'll I never have pre-workout. I don't like the feeling of it. No, I can't deal with it. And I mean, we're pretty serious athletes, so <laughs> if we're getting away with it, <laughs> you'll probably be fine. I think people start to use pre-workouts and become not addicted to them, but they think that they're going to get a better workout from taking a pre-workout. And in actual fact, a pre-workout or caffeine, whether it be coffee, monster, pre-workout, it's going to make... The reason that you would take it is if you're having a slightly... a day where you're probably feeling a wee bit tired or a wee bit jaded. It's just a a little bit of a bump with the caffeine to get you through a session. Um, But it's not how you feel a session and it's not how... The, you get your intensity up in a session so kind of becoming reliant on them is a bit it's, it's not the brightest of ideas and also 
if you go through a point where, you know, caffeine's not bad for you um, in certain dosages, um, but if you take it regularly and then try to remove it, you will start to get caffeine headaches because they like sort of withdrawal symptoms. So just be aware of that. And also as well, caffeine, the more you take it, the less effective it becomes. So it starts to drop off. So you end, have to end up, end up ramping the caffeine levels up, which again, it's not a smart idea. So yeah, don't... Yeah, I, don't think, become... I think a lot of it is placebo. Mm. Like, I even find like the smell of coffee wakes me up because it's like the expectation of that I think and actually like as much as you're saying you need more and more like and you become less and less sensitive most people massively underdose caffeine so like if you actually wanted the ergogenic effect as in like the performance enhancing effect you have to take quite a lot more than what would be in a a normal pre-workout or like a cup of coffee for example so there probably is a benefit but I think the majority of it is at the dosages that most of us tend to take is more placebo than anything else but you can become reliant on the placebo and then think oh there's I can't do a good session if I haven't had a coffee before or something like that yeah yeah totally the other part of Vicky's question was asking about whether there's nutritional benefits to pre-workouts and I would say no there isn't like most of them contain things like caffeine or beta alanine sometimes some contain creatine but probably not yeah. in enough quantities to actually, like, you're better off just having creatine as a supplement. It's cheaper as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, okay. Good. I had another question as well. Um, oh, go ahead. And I know that she's already done her race, but, but she says, um, I have my second ever race on Sunday. What's that one piece of advice that you would give ahead of the race? I like that question. Oh. What would you guys so it was a was it a 10k that vicky was doing at the weekend or was it yeah yeah it was 10k 10K and she smashed it for anyone listening and wondering yeah one i think one piece of advice i always give people who are doing sort of things like races and any kind of form of competition is is that they generally start to do a little bit more reading into like what they they need to do to fuel a race and a lot of the time they make whole scale changes like two or three days before actually competing whether it be the race or whether it be whatever it is and the problem with doing that is is that you don't know how your body's going to react to this new stim or new potentially new way of fueling their body so at, there are numerous cases of people shitting themselves um, puking, shout out to paula radcliffe um, yeah paula radcliffe because they've changed things far too every yeah. podcast <laughs> literally um, mentioned paula every freaking time synonymous with shitting yourself really come on i know you can't talk about shitting yourself in a race without mentioning paula yeah but changing things is keep things as simple as possible and don't change them like if you have a routine to run into a race or into a competition you stick with it and you don't change it you don't change it with that if you're going to change it you change it during your training spells where you can start to test things but before an actual race keep everything as same as possible feel exactly the same as you have done for your last races and just be consistent yeah I think mine would be I mean those are like that is such a good point and on top of that I would try and enjoy it like you've done all the hard work now so you just need to enjoy the race like I think you can still become so like even the couple of days before as well I would say there's no, there's nothing left to do really just relax and enjoy it and don't overtrain and don't do some crazy like carb loading if you've never carb loaded before and 
you've done the work, you're fit enough, just go out and put the effort in. Run faster! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any, Catherine? Um, My advice was just about like the mindset and it it was like you said, Emma, is to enjoy it. Um, And also to kind of like, you probably already know what you want to get out of it, which is why you sign up in the first place, but like remind yourself of why you did that um, rather than putting kind of all that pressure on yourself because you spent hours and hours and hours training and building up to it. And then it's what, an hour or just over an hour of running. So yeah, make the most of it and enjoy it. Which you already have done. You smashed it. Yay! Okay, Andy, have you got questions? Yes. Um, Okie dokie. When tired and hungry, how do we establish if calories need to be increased or if we just need a rest? Uh, Good question. I would just be quite objective and look at what's going on. Like, is it that you're not sleeping very well? Is it that you've got other life stresses going on? It's very easy, especially, like, we're two weeks into this commit six that's obviously a huge lifestyle change to you. So it's very easy to attribute literally anything you're feeling to that. Like a good example of this is people who got the vaccine. So like when I had the vaccine, like that day I was quite tired, but I actually think I was just tired. Like, but anything that happened that day, I'd be like, well, must've been the vaccine that day. Like it's, you just think you're going to attribute like everything that happens or however you feel to that. And the same often happens when you start a diet or you start a new exercise regime. You're like, anything that happens in the next couple of weeks must be because I made this change when realistically it might be also that you're moving house or that you have kids that don't sleep or like numerous other life stresses. So I would just be quite objective and rational and and have a little think about if it is genuinely the diet or if it is something else. Now, another on another level to that is, you know, no one's in a really extreme deficit because we don't do that. So if you have a decent amount of body fat to lose and you're on the calories that we gave you to stick to, it's very unlikely that it's your diet that's causing you to feel massively tired unless you're also not telling us that you're training for a marathon or something like that. Uh, But generally, if you're sticking to the targets that we've given you, it shouldn't be that. Yes. All good. Um, right, I'll pop another quick one in here as well. Any strategies for dealing with emotional eating? My big one on this one is deal with the emotion. You don't need to, the the eating doesn't need to come with um, whatever it is that you're going through. Um, you can detach it. They're not one in the same thing. The emotion is separate to the food. Um, so it's a sometimes can be quite a difficult thing to get your head around. Um, and understanding that there isn't an attachment there, but you've made the link yourself, um, and it's about breaking that link with the emotion and the food, um, which again, as I said, is is a tougher it's tougher than me telling you that that's the case, but that's genuinely what you kind of need to do. Yeah, because you're getting to the root cause of the problem instead of finding some other coping mechanism for it, which I think a lot of people suggest, and you know, be like, oh, whenever I eat at a certain time I end up overeating because I feel really emotional or whenever I eat a certain food I end up overeating and like this isn't always emotional eating it could be like a quote-unquote trigger food or like something to do with your relationship with food and normally like all like the easy response to that is essentially like don't keep those foods in the house set yourself a rule not to eat at this time of day make you like distract yourself in some other way 
which works for a short period of time, but it's not getting to the root cause of the problem, which is that you're eating to numb your emotions. So if you can deal with those emotions, and as he's and uh, uh, as 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 Andy is saying, like that's so much harder to do than to say for sure. Like we're not saying it's easy, but that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna sort of free yourself of that because you can stick a little plaster on it for a, a period of time. Maybe you can get away with that for six weeks, but at some point you're going to need to actually face those things yeah definitely it's it is a way to like emotionally regulate isn't it and you can find alternative ways to do that um and like Emma and Andy have said it is like there's other ways that you can emotionally regulate whether that's like speaking to a friend or phoning a friend or going out on a walk but some of those things can also be like a plaster over it but it's it is often good to kind of like talk about those things and then if you want to look at strategies to actually like stop yourself or help you stop yourself using eating is to find a way to put like a stop gap in between feeling the emotions that you're feeling and then actually taking action and eating um so like a way of doing that would be like using the hunger scale for example and i know that we have um sheets on on like the member site for that um and it's just about kind of like asking yourself and putting a pause between feeling the feeling and eating the foods generally yeah but the hunger scale can be quite a useful tool for that um, and you can actually decide whether you are hungry because um, sometimes it is hard to tell yes agreed um oh i had i had like a quote that i wanted to share because i thought it was so so good now i can't find it hold on it's kind of related to this i think in my head like these two things like merged when we were talking about it hold on re andy just andy's done can we just appreciate how great andy looks now he's got his haircut i mean you always looked great but fleek is that what they call it is that what the kids call it fleek (laughs) on fleek (laughs) okay okay this was this was the quote i want to see if you agree with it or not it's much easier to change how you think by changing your behavior than it is to change your behavior by changing how you think. Act out the change that you seek. It's the silence. <laughs> I'm just processing it. No, okay, I'll, I'll say it again. It's much easier to change how you think by changing your behavior then it is to change your behavior by changing how you think act out the change that you seek i would i would agree with that yeah i would say that me that's what we talk about like building habits and stuff like that habits don't come from you automatically just thinking this is what i'm going to do it comes from putting behaviors in place like setting your non-negotiables week after week by I'm going to this week my behaviours are going to act in towards I'm going to get my three training sessions in I'm going to get my steps in and then that then starts to work its way back into your head which it then becomes routine becomes into your head so now I would I would say that's pretty pretty apt that reminds me of the quote um oh what is it uh, by changing the way we look at things the things we look at change I quite Ooh. like that Ooh. one as well it reminds me of that. Yeah. So like, like kind of way... taking these actions makes you look at things in a diff- from a different perspective, maybe? Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is 
we talk about this a lot as well but motivation and like waiting for motivation or waiting for something to happen or waiting to be ready and there are whole like concepts within psychology about like stages of change and being at a certain stage of change and or like people using motivation as a barrier not to do something oh I don't have motivation yet I'll just wait until the motivation comes when actually the action causes the motivation and I think sometimes with change as well it's like just do something and it seems like such a lazy response to someone like oh how do I get started I don't know what to do or like they just I don't know if I'm ready to change and just actually making some kind of action it doesn't have to be huge action but just some action that yeah. in itself that actually now I'm talking about it has nothing to do with emotional eating so there you go that's just how my mind works but a great quote nonetheless <laughs> awesome quote um shall I go, go um sometimes your coaches say it's okay to save slash bank calories for the weekend or an upcoming event when you may overindulge however you seem to discourage from reducing calories after having had such an event or blowout um, and just draw a line under it. I'm not sure which is correct, which is the correct approach. Sorry if this is a bit convoluted. Not at all. And I completely understand that it seems a bit um, like mixed messaging because it yep. is. Because in certain situations, we might say, yeah, do you know what? Save some calories and have more to play with on the weekend. And in other situations, you might be like, oh, I overate on the weekend. I'm thinking of cutting my calories back. And we'd be like, no, don't do that. Just move on. And for different individuals in different circumstances, like this is why we like it when you do your check-ins properly or when you ask us about stuff and you tag us about stuff so we can have the context of that. Because there would be certain situations where I'd be like, oh, you have overeaten on the weekend, but actually, yeah, I think you can probably lower your calories for a couple of days to even that out. And there'll be other situations where I'm like, no, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. Because, it, and effectively, the reason we don't want you to do that is because it often leads to massive over-restriction and then again, massive overindulgence again and that's what can often cause this over restriction overindulgence cycle which can turn into things like binge eating so we don't want that to happen obviously but if it's if it's that you're overeating kind of like a little bit most weekends and you haven't been accounting for it in the week although this if this was a pattern it would start being accounted for in the week anyway but if that's happening like quite frequently then yeah we probably would have you account for that afterwards by reducing your calories slightly or increasing your expenditure or a little bit of both um but it is better to do in foresight than in hindsight i think uh and if you've either a gone massively over or b it's just not very common for you like we've got clients who are like oh yeah so i went out for a anniversary meal i didn't track it i know i was over my calories but like i, I don't know what to do how much should i lower them by I'm like don't lower them <laughs> You, you went out for one meal in six weeks or like you went over your calories once in six weeks. It makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. So it's the frequency of these things as well. And I know that that does seem a little bit like it's not one clear message because unfortunately there isn't always one clear message and it's quite context specific. So if you are wondering about that, like never feel like you can't just tag us and ask us and give us some context to that and we'll direct you in the best way. I think you're totally right. I think the like planning it ahead for me puts the thought pattern in somebody's head of I'm planning for the weekend whereas if you're doing it in hindsight I always think that that's like a bit of a punishment on yourself for that overindulgence and 
Like, I think that's the kind of mindset stuff. And that's what, as exactly as Emma said, the check-ins are so important because that's, I kind of reiterated that a lot in the check-ins that I did this weekend was, this is how we get to know you. This is how we get to know how we deal with things moving forward. And I understand that it's group coaching, but at the same point, we still need to understand the person, understand you guys. Um, and that's where we, if you give us as much information as we can get, as you can give us, we start to understand what it is we need to look at. Um, and again, a lot of that also comes down to the person. Like there are a lot of people who probably I wouldn't, I would just advise to stay on the calories Monday to Sunday and you don't shift because their mindset is a completely different way to somebody who actually you can cut, trim off 100 calories a day Monday to Friday, then you can have a little bit extra Saturday, Sunday. It's about trying to get to know the person, I think, and understand mm -hmm. their whys and also their what ifs was to come from it. Yeah, and I think like you, you kind of nailed it there, but it's the mindset going into it. And as much as this is group coaching it's like the best hybrid you can possibly imagine because you're getting one-to-one -one coaching within a group so you're getting the best of both worlds and the elements that are group are the elements that work for everyone like I think everyone thinks they need something specific and ex like special for them they don't the basics are the basics because they work those are the fundamentals that are there in the group then at your check-ins that's when you get your individual coaching that's when we make tweaks that we need to make given who you are as an individual and what you're barriers are or what your relationship with food is or what you're struggling with at the time and so you're getting the best of both there um yeah okay excellent cool right um i think um, i think i remember emma once saying that, that having a long-standing dieting history can make fat loss a bit slower have I picked it up right, question mark, due to metabolic adaptations? Can you explain this, please? Um, and then the second part of that question is, and does being hypothyroid, even though someone is on thyroxine, make fat loss a slower process? Okay, so I'll answer the second part first. If you're medicated properly, which is a much harder than what many might believe, so if you're taking too much or too little thyroxine, which can change as well. So it's not just like, this is exactly how much you need, that like you need to be getting that checked, which I'm sure you are frequently by your doctor. And there is sometimes cases where you're taking too much or too little. So that can impact your energy balance slightly. So there might be a little bit of an impact there, but if it's properly managed, then no, there shouldn't be, not to the extent that it would stop you losing weight, for example. It might be to the extent that we thought, we thought, we thought that you were in a, I don't know, 400 calorie deficit but actually you're in a 300 calorie deficit that's kind of what we're talking about and that'll probably be the extreme of it uh the second or well, the first part of that question yes if you have a dieting history it's less to do with your dieting history and more to do with how much weight total weight that you've lost so if i don't know you used to weigh <clears throat> 100 kilograms and now you've dieted down to 65 kilograms that's quite a big chunk of weight to lose. So you will have had some metabolic adaptation. That's usually to the tune of roughly 100-ish calories. So it's not, again, it isn't like you won't be able to lose weight. You're completely adapted. And really what's happening is increased efficiency. You're more efficient than someone else who's always been 65 kilograms for their whole life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not as much to do with previous dieting history as in yo-yo dieting 
although that might have an impact. It's more to do with the total magnitude of weight that you've lost. Boom. Um, next question for me. I like this one. Um, it's very sciencey. Uh, I'd like to ask about lactic acid buildup during workouts. What exactly is it? Why does it happen? And is there a way to increase the threshold? Um, does buildup mean that I have reached failure and should stop or should I try to work through it until I cannot perform the movement with good form? Appreciate that from lactic acid buildup um, to losing form might only be the difference of one or two reps. What a oh, good question. What a question. <laughs> God, I wish I'd read up beforehand. Um, okay, this is a really good question. I think lactic gets a really, really bad rep. Rep? Is that the right word? Yeah, reputation. I was going to say rap. Either I'm, or. I'm not rap. very good with bad words reputation. today. Like, I just feel like they're not coming out very well. Okay, so the the whole idea behind lactate is it's actually allowing you to keep performing without oxygen being available to your muscles so it's actually a good thing it allows you to keep going with exercise at the given intensity that you want to perform people who are better at doing higher relative level of intensity without building up lactate are people who tend to be better at lactate clearance so that's an endurance adaptation. So someone who, and I've spoken about this on the marathon podcast before, someone who is going to, I don't know, win an endurance event is probably the person who can clear the most lactate or who can exercise at the highest intensity without building up lactate. So you are pretty much always, as soon as you start exercising, producing lactate, but you will also be clearing that. And it's your rate of clearance that's quite important. So the higher... The faster you can run without accumulating lactate, the better you will be at endurance sport effectively. And the and a similar is true for muscular endurance, like the more that you can do without that build up, um, the better that you'll be able to perform or the more reps you'll be able to do. So it's, not, it's definitely not a bad thing. You shouldn't be trying to avoid it. It's actually kind of a good thing. It's what allows you to keep exercising. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it's something that you need to be overly worried about, particularly with resistance training, because that is like the energy system that you're going to be utilizing anyway. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you need to worry too much about lactic acid buildup. And you're, I don't know, are you really going to get to the point where you are at like your lactic thresholds during weights training? Um I, I feel like know, I need to read up on that. This, like, like what normally I guess it is slightly like it's just such a different feeling than like you know if you if you would like on the rowing machine like you know <laughs> you know you've got lactate build up but I don't know if I get that so much doing resistance training no you generally just feel like you're about arms are about to fall off it's not lactate build up it's just your muscles are just went but it must be partly that, right? It'll be, a, it'll be partly that, but I think as well, like, as exactly as you said, like, I don't think the rep, I think you would need to be doing a shit ton of reps mm. to get to that point. And most of us don't, wouldn't, I don't think you would push yourself as hard through a weights training session to hit that threshold as you would be able to get there in a cardio session. You'll get there much quicker. Um, you would probably need to push yourself pretty. Yeah, but saying that, like at the end of a Wingate cycle test, that's lactic hell. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like at the end of a 200 meter sprint, that's... That and that, and what's that, like 30 seconds? Yeah, exactly. If you're really slow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Have you yeah, seen I, all of the world think... records getting broken in athletics recently? It's the drugs. But, but do you know what's really sad? Like, I I don't know. I feel like it maybe is. I think the biggest ones you've got to look at on this is that, especially, like, I know we're super patriotic about everybody that, you know, that our athletes are as clean as everybody else. But I think, like, if you look at the, across the board, I think so many of these people will be doing certain things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Look at look at the cycling, for instance, and the British cycling, like brown paper bags getting passed around and we're not telling anybody what was in them. And, you know, so it's it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a murky, it's a murky sport, shall we say. Yeah, well, they were saying with the cycling that some of the performances that happened in the Tour de France are like better than when there was way more doping or like when we knew that there was a lot of doping going on and you're like what so now everyone's better than drug assisted well, like... did you watch did you watch Icarus on Netflix yeah years ago yeah and so the guy the guy did does the amateur Tour de France and obviously competed one year didn't finish I think he was like the bottom quarter and he decided that he was going to go on a, 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 a cycle of doping and still didn't break the top 10. So you're sitting going, and these are all supposed to be guys that are clean. So you kind of sit and go, you're either not, and he took it, like he took his doping extremely professionally. Like he went to one of the top drugs coaches in the world and still didn't break the top 10. Yeah, but so, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Like drugs give you an advantage, but they don't... Oh, yeah. Like, but the reason that at that top level they give you so much advantage is because everyone at that top level is like half a second, you know, like the margin for winning it's the Olympic tiny. Games, depending on what sport you're yeah. in and what you're running, like, is so small that even a tiny advantage. But it exactly. doesn't really surprise me that someone who is pretty crap at cycling was still pretty crap. I mean, like, I'm not saying that I could do the Tour de France. <laughs> Yeah, you're still really Mike, crap. I'll try. Do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know how much that surprises me. But th- there is some scepticism at the moment around a lot of the world records that are being broken because we've had this like period off and apparently a lot of the testing and there's been like a lot of excuses around COVID and like you've kind of had like, have you literally just had a year to take drugs? There is a very well-known um, country in the world that allowed two years off for certain sports um, at their youth, at youth level athletes to go away and, um, shall we say, dope to the girls before coming back to play. <laughs> you again. know when most people say, "Shall we say?" Like if they say something inconspicuous, oh, and you're just like, "One hundred percent true." Shall we say, train a little harder? Not, shall we say, just take loads of drugs? Well, due to the fact that they're coming back 18 months later with like 25 kilos more muscle on them, is like, you kind of sit and go, mm, yeah. But it's like, that's kind of what sport is nowadays, unfortunately. It's a yeah. pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting um, circuit. So. And then there's uh, How two DSD athletes got disqualified as well, didn't they? 
no one else has been keeping up with the athletics chat. Fine. <laughs> okay. Right, next question. Question, question. Um, does my PCOS really mean low calories for life? Uh, I'm on 1600 and scales and measurements move very little, sometimes up then down. Uh, I don't mind fluctuations, but I've been consistent for pretty much four weeks now and I've not had much movement. Um, the second part of this question was kind of about the, the goals are very opposing shall we say powerlifting wants to set pbs but wants to lose weight and i said that you're going to have to maybe have a little bit of a think about goals moving forward which takes precedence do you want to be setting pbs in the gym or do you want to be losing weight because the way that you you way that you feel is slightly different and will also have different outputs but the, the main question on that one does pcos really mean low calories for life yeah so We'll answer the second part as well, because I think that's quite interesting to go yep. into. But um, not necessarily. And this is what's really annoying about these messages around PCOS is like, no, it's like everyone who has PCOS will need to be on extremely low calories. That's just simply not true. There are certain people who will have a slightly lower basal metabolic rate. It's thought to be that it can be up to 40% lower. But still remember that you will still, like, even if your basal metabolic rate was 40% lower, which would be the very extreme of this situation, you're still moving on top of that. It still doesn't mean that you're, like, pigeonholed into very, very low calories. Yes, it might be lower than someone else who doesn't have PCOS who is otherwise very similar to you. But I wouldn't assume that that's you like whenever we work with someone who has pcos we assume that nothing has changed and then we all but we also are realistic that okay if i'm probably going to be quicker to lower your calories knowing that you have pcos than i would be if it was someone else but equally i don't make any assumptions about that and actually a lot of women i know who have pcos possibly have even higher energy requirements than others because they have higher testosterone and potentially higher muscle mass uh and which means that at a given weight they're leaner carrying more muscle mass muscle mass is more metabolically active so they might actually have a higher basal metabolic rate it kind of depends how it's manifested in you and what what has happened in that situation so it's very very individual and it kind of irks me when people are like oh, i've got pcos i'll never be able to lose weight or I've been told by so-and-so on Instagram that I need to drop my calories to this or I can't eat carbs or I need to do this special workout or blah, blah, blah. Like you're still an individual and actually that's what we need to focus on. This is true for all of, you know, if you've had any other factor involved, like you're still an individual first and we need to figure out what works for you first. Those are things that we need to know, absolutely, but it doesn't mean that we're going to act on them before we've got proper data and figuring out what's working for you. So that would be my first point. And the second thing about um, weightlifting, it kind of depends on like the class of powerlifting you want to compete in. So if you need to lose weight to get into that class, then potentially losing weight is going to improve your performance within that class. The But if you're already quite lean and you're looking to get leaner, then realistically your performance in terms of powerlifting is probably going to go down. And weight moves weight massively like way more than you would predict being heavy is makes it way easier to lift heavy and weirdly even true with like bench press like when i got really and i was barely training with my back when i was 
like at my worst with my back and also at my heaviest with my back. But I benched like 70 kilograms, which I could never do now. Yeah, I know. Ridiculous, right? And it was only because I just weighed a ton more. Literally but, but a ton. Why, why, do, why do you not think that there why do you, this is kind of one of the reasons you don't see world's strongest men at 60, kilo, 60 kilos because weight moves weight. Like you've got guys that are 20, 25, 30 stone. That's why they can drag a bloody plane. Imagine chucking somebody in who's 10 stone wet try to pull a bloody 75-ton plane against some guy who's 30 stone. Good luck with that. It's, I think there's only going to really be one winner. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree, but I, I don't find that surprising because it's like, yeah, you're using your weight literally as yeah. momentum. But then I do find it quite surprising with, like, bench press because I'm like, why? Well, not really. If you think about the way, if you can, if you have push-ups, you're having to shift more body weight. So if you can translate that across to a bench press... You're going to have to push yourself around. Same as squats, standing up and sitting down. If you're heavier, you've got more to be... You've yeah, got yeah, more... but you don't have that in a bench press. That's why it's surprising. Like, you do in a push-up. I'd understand the push-up. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I wouldn't understand the push-up because it's actually be harder because you're heavier. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <clears throat> okay, well, great conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to write into the podcast and let us know, that would be great. Yeah. Um, okay. Out of curiosity, how does the body decide to lose visceral fat versus other fat stores in the body? Does losing visceral fat impact on overall look slash feel of the body? Um, a large part of this is genetic and predisposed as to where you store body fat. Ideally, you would lose visceral fat quicker. There is some research that shows that exercise mobilizes visceral fat better than diet alone. So that's of benefit. But aside from that, again, it's the same as what we always talk about. You can't spot reduce fat. You can't choose to reduce it viscerally, unfortunately, because otherwise we would be doing that because that's probably the biggest impact on your health. Will you feel or look different potentially, depending on how much fat you store there? Yes. Um, But obviously it's potentially less obvious than more subcutaneous fat which would be like your arms and legs kind of thing um okay okay how useful are affirmations in the body acceptance positivity journey and do you think there's better strategies to support this what's the science behind them wow what what amazing questions today Catherine, you go first what do you think of affirmations do you do affirmations I don't. I only did affirmations. Remember, there was a week where oh, I was yeah, when I made everyone do affirmations. <laughs> it was the smile in the mirror, wasn't it? It wasn't the affirmations. Actually, I've never, I've never done it before. I don't. Have you guys done it? Well, it was affirmations because it was, wasn't it like smile in the mirror and tell yourself you're gonna have a good day or something. Like that's an affirmation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I agree with them around body image. Like, I don't know if you're like looking in the mirror and being like, I am beautiful. Yeah, it can't be forced, can it? It's got to be like actually genuine. Yeah, or I think so. I had this discussion with Dan because he was doing a lot of talking about um, body body image, which was really interesting. But I think, and Emilio and I discussed this on the EIQ Live, that actually one of the key problems with body image is the emphasis on body image as that being important and sometimes I'm like all this discussion around more and more and more around body image is actually potentially detrimental 
and all like part of me is like oh it's great when people i don't know show their cellulite and expose that it's normal but you're almost not normalizing it because you're highlighting the fact that you have cellulite like if you just put up a photo of you with cellulite and didn't mention the fact that you have cellulite in it great that's normalizing it but being like oh my god i would have never put this photo up because of how i look but look i have cellulite too is almost like emphasizing it i don't know how helpful that is it's the the whole instagram versus reality post stuff i just i don't i i don't i'm the same as you i don't understand how people find that um helpful it doesn't really it doesn't really it's something that doesn't resonate with me so i just don't really get it i think i've i mean i've spoken about this before and i think a lot of people do find it helpful so i great and if you find it helpful follow those pages because that's excellent but if you don't then unfollow them because you don't need to see that stuff uh i yeah i just think it's kind of it's a strange topic because i just think generally one of the biggest problems with people's body image is just the overemphasis on body image and that's why i like push to be like give better compliments like tell people how they make you feel tell people how I don't know passionate they are tell people you like their energy talk about those things as opposed to like oh you look really good today or if you are going to say that also say something else like don't put so much emphasis just on someone's appearance that's how you're going to get over body image issues is to stop focusing on your body or how you look as the sole thing that's important about you yeah it's kind of like like dieting isn't it when people are focusing on scale weight and that change in scale weight actually when we start to take emphasis off of that and we look at other things like how you're performing in the gym how you feel that you like automatically kind of stop thinking about that sort of thing and then you might you lose weight anyway um but it makes that it makes it more positive doesn't it Um, yeah or even if you think about like your friends and you're like oh do you hang out with anyone that you know because they look a certain way no like you don't care about that like what do you actually care about oh yeah they they listen to me they make me feel good they're fun to be around i have a good time when i'm with them they're caring they're funny they're passionate they're educated like they teach me stuff whatever whatever joy you get out of your friends and and that's kind of how you need to see yourself as well as opposed to just like how you look mm. yes <clears throat> there we go yeah my turn uh thank you guys for commit to six really enjoying it oh wait um, wait wait sorry we were going to speak oh, about affirmations because actually i think that's quite oh. so none of you guys don't use affirmations i i don't massively use them or do it although i do have like reminders on my whiteboard of how i want to show up to things so i don't know if that's sort of a, an affirmation like an affirmation is a bit of a, a reminder isn't it you don't have to actually like say it to yourself as well or can you write it down i think i mean that's just like how you want to do it i think usually it is like stand in the mirror and be like you are awesome or whatever affirmation you you know or manifest a million dollars or something and actually i think they're useful if they then promote action i think they're not useful like you're not going to lose weight if every day you stand in the mirror and say i want to lose weight but if every day you look at yourself in the mirror and you say I want to lose weight and then you own that and you show up to that and you say like so I'm going to do these behaviors 
then actually I think getting up every day and reminding yourself of that is quite useful. It's essentially what we do with the morning routine. The first actions you do during the day are getting you closer to your long-term goal. It's kind of telling yourself via action. It's less cheesy than just looking in the mirror and saying, I'm on commit to six and today I'm going to make sure that I hit all my non-negotiables. But it's the same kind of thing. It's starting your day with a positive. It's reminding yourself of your goals frequently. And I think that's useful. And whether you want to do it via affirmations, whether you want to journal every day, whether you want to do like a quick morning routine, whether you want to write it down or whether you want to have like notes of it somewhere in your that you're going to see first thing in the morning, you're going to see frequently to remind yourself. Like I, I think it's useful, but it's only useful if it drives action. It's not useful on its own. Okay, you can go with the next question now. Next. Um, thank you guys for Commit to Six, really enjoying it. Um, my question is, if I want to increase my calorie deficit, not by intake, but by output, with some cardio is less better than it in order to build and maintain muscle which is my focus and fat loss is secondary i've heard that running would reduce muscle gains while building until you've maintained them longer term so at the moment i'm keeping all my exercises low intensity yoga pilates incline walking to keep my heart rate low my old tendency for fat loss would have been to run and do lots of hit okay so it doesn't there there are some opposing adaptations between endurance exercise and resistance training but I wouldn't massively worry about them unless you want to be the extreme of either unless you want to be running world-class marathon times or you want to be a bodybuilder anywhere in between I wouldn't stress about that what I do find is that you're probably going to burn more calories doing list type exercises but for a longer period of time so if you can I don't know go for a incline walk for a whole hour while you're listening to a podcast or something fine that's great that's probably going to burn more calories than a 20 minute hit session but if for example you only had 30 minutes I'd be like okay probably neither of those things probably somewhere in the middle where it's like medium intensity like essentially something you can sustain for 30 minutes at the highest intensity you can sustain it for 30 minutes so it depends if your time restraint or not what's best but Essentially, if you're doing it to burn more calories, then I wouldn't do HIT because you'll fatigue very quickly. But if you're doing it, yeah, I, if you've not got a time restraint, and this is why we focus so much on NEAT because going for a big walk or something or commuting via walking is going to have a bigger impact than just adding on a little bit of cardio to your session. But you can absolutely add cardio and it will, of course, burn calories. I think my main question here would be, um, you said that main or building and maintaining muscle is actually a primary focus and fat loss is secondary. So I don't know whether you would want to increase your calorie output um, if your focus is muscle building. And I think adding HIIT sessions in would actually potentially like hamper your recovery. Um, so if you're doing five weight sessions a week, plus like two HIIT sessions on top of that, that might mean that you're not even having a rest day. And we all know that rest is really, really important when it comes to muscle building. So, I mean, unless it's, if HIIT is something that you really enjoy doing um, and it makes you feel good, then absolutely keep doing it. But I would say have at least a minimum of one rest day a week in there. And it's great that you're doing other like low intensity stuff like yoga and Pilates and you're just like adding that in there. I think that's great. Um, but yeah, if muscle building is your main goal, then I would, yeah, I would question why you want to increase your output. 
Yeah, I think people think, similarly to everything else, fat loss, muscle building, everybody thinks that more is better. And we'll keep putting this back in your head that more is not always better. You need to fight. There's a fine line, and this is where we're trying to help you. You know, if you're trying to build muscle, you're doing five sessions a week, actually, I would be, you get your 12,000 steps done, you don't need to do anything else. You, if you enjoy hit sessions, I would actually probably still be inclined to say, let's cut them back for four weeks and let's see how you get on the building muscle. Um, although I know you enjoy them, it's maybe something that you just need to bite the bullet and say, right, which is your number one goal? Are you want to build muscle? Because if it is, we're going to have to focus more on that. Um, and I think this is the this is the issue. We get so many people coming with so many different goals, and a lot of their goals are actually opposing when it comes to what is what they're trying to do. So I want to get strong as fuck, but I want to lose weight. Well, unfortunately, there are both ends of a spectrum, and unfortunately, there is no there is a fine line, but the fine line's not going to get you anywhere quickly. So you're going to have to. At times, you're just going to have to go, right, okay, maybe take hit out for a wee bit, focus on your muscle building, give yourself enough time to recover because that's what we, you, that's where your muscles built is rest and recovery. <clears throat> so, Yes, I agree. And I think a very good point about making sure that your actions are actually in line with your goals. What I will say, just to play devil's advocate, because that's my favorite game, is that for most people, you can have both. Like you can yep. absolutely have both. So as much as we're saying, you kind of need to make sure that, yeah, your actions are in line with your long-term goals. And if that's strength and also fat loss, then you might need to decide between the two. Yeah, to an extent, but you can do both. You can get stronger while you're losing body fat, 100%. Can you be as strong as you possibly could be while losing body fat? No, like there's a compromise to be had there. But if you're happy to say, okay, I know that I'm not going to optimize my strength gains while I'm losing body fat but I want a bit of both and I'm happy to sort of sacrifice that to an extent fine it's just being realistic with what's possible but actually for most of us we're so far from our genetic potential that there's a huge scope for doing both there's a huge scope for being able to be very good like being able to do hit sessions and be very fit but also build muscle at the same time it's not optimal but it's compromise exactly yeah uh, I have two questions. Um, so we'll go number one first. Can you talk us through complete proteins and why they're important? I'm plant-based and I've had to look up complete options. However, just wondered why are they so key? Does this mean that protein is not all equal? Uh, and if you've done this previously, can you direct me to the podcast to listen to? Okay, I don't, we've probably mentioned it a couple of times. There's not a full podcast on this because the concept is relatively simple. So complete proteins, usually animal sources, have a full spectrum of amino acids. Incomplete proteins don't have that full spectrum of essential amino acids, I should say. So these are the ones that your body can't synthesize itself. So you need to derive those from the diet. Uh, and that's kind of the, the gist of it. If you're plant-based then it's slightly harder to do but there are like if you're if you're still eating dairy then that's a complete source of protein um and there are ways to do it as a vegan as well which aren't what so is corn is it corn that's a full got a full amino acid spectrum i I know that tofu does yeah yeah soy products quinoa or quinoa depending on where you're from (laughs) which which one do you use 
I never say that word. I never eat I was it. Say, I, I don't eat it because it it's looks not in my like vocab. Shit, so, yeah, it's not in my. It's not in that. So I wouldn't say it. That Can you stuff. just say it? Can you say it, Andy? <laughs> quinoa or quinoa? Just in your normal voice. Quinoa. 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 Can I have some of that? Quinoa. <laughs> You know, when I first came to Scotland for uni, my flatmates in uni like used to say Ken what or Chicken. And I used to think that they were saying like chicken. I don't know why. Like it just sounded like, <laughs> blah, 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 like chicken. I was like, why, do I, why does everyone keep ending their sentences with chicken? <laughs> I'd be like, actually, if you were to put that in Glasgow, that might work. Kenwa. Kenwa, Kenwa, I saw the day. Shonal, Shonal, kill me for that one. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, the second part of that question, um, as an endurance athlete, triathlons and Ironmans, with regards to weight, should, it be opting, should I be opting for increased reps in how many sets? I appreciate that strength and power are important for swimming, running and cycling. However, I'm slightly fearful of gaining too much muscle bulk. I'm currently Babe, on... You don't, don't worry about that. It's not going to happen. Yeah. That's, the, the reason I brought the question in was because I think there's still a lot of people that worry about being bulky and it's not going to happen. It really isn't. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing is, Catherine and I going... have been trying to bulk for the last <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> when going to any gym and you, and take away the fact if you're female, because you don't, the hormone profile is not as, sort of, not as um, set up for building muscle as say as a male, male's one, right? So you go in, you look at all the young lads trying to build muscle, chucking around weights, and they're all built like sparrows. So if they can't do it, I wouldn't stress about getting too bulky. Um, a lot of bulk is about also about just how much that you can see like different different types of sport as well. So like going back to like powerlifting, you've got like obviously different weight classes. It's all to do with your nutrition. So bulk inside of stuff has got to do with where your goals are lined up and if you're on a fat loss goal at the moment you're not going to have to stress about being bulky because you're on a deficit um but it's just the, the reason i brought that part of the question was because of like the bulky thing because i know that comes up quite a lot with people worrying about being too bulky and it's don't stress about it yeah yeah i think that comes up all the time and i'm glad you brought it up but yeah if you're in a deficit there's absolutely no chance of getting bulky even if you're not in a deficit there's very little chance of getting bulky as in when we say bulky as in building too much muscle mass that you're uncomfortable with that level of muscle mass like it's very very hard to do and it certainly won't happen by accident so don't stress about that and in relation to your endurance exercise and training for a triathlon i would still keep the rep ranges that i've programmed for you i wouldn't increase them yeah uh and even like elite level triathletes do that in fact they probably do lower rep ranges than that because really what they're working on is strength and power and what we're working on a little bit is strength power and a little bit of hypertrophy as well so <clears throat> the slightly higher rep ranges than than what sports performance people might be doing um but yeah definitely don't increase them i need to find my next question i'm not prepared <laughs> Andy, do you have one? Yes. Um, I'm a personal trainer and took a long time before accepting that coaches can benefit from being coached. I have learned a lot as a client, but also as a coach when I signed up to commit to six. What are your thoughts on this? 
uh, I've been feeling like a client, but also like an apprentice so far. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for being amazing. What What are my thoughts on coaches who have coaches? Yes. Well, I mean, I have a coach. Catherine has a coach. Like, I think it's so useful for various reasons. Like, one, you're gonna, you probably stand to benefit more because if you choose the right coach, which you have, you're probably gonna learn a lot about like your own business as well and take things from that. And also, just the situation of being a client is really insightful for you and how you run your business. There might be things that we do that you're like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Like as a client, I didn't feel like that was a good thing. I mean, hopefully not. And please give us feedback if that is the case, because we will change it. But equally, like you'll find things that you're like, oh yeah, I really actually, when they did that live or when they spoke about that thing or when they answered my question here or the way that they do the accountability post, like that's really useful. And I saw huge value in that. So you, you kind of stand to double win here. Like not only are you getting personally coached, but you're probably taking a load of ideas for your own business. And we're quite open to that. Like I know there's a lot of personal trainers on commit to six. I'm not like, I'm not hiding anything. Um, <clears throat> so personal trainers are absolutely welcome. And I just think, especially when you spend, and this is like, I know what I get from coaching a lot is, when you spend a hell of a lot of time coaching other people, it can be quite draining to coach yourself and the the level of support. Like, I think I had a question a couple of weeks ago, uh, basically being like, surely you know enough to coach yourself. It's not about knowledge. Like, yeah, I do. of course I know enough to coach myself, but it's got nothing to do with that. It's like the support and it's the objectivity of it. And it's outsourcing that to someone else so that you can better yourself and it's about self-development and investing in yourself as well so yeah for me massively important and I think if anything you gain more if you're a coach yourself yeah I totally agree I think no exaggeration like joining commit to six which was like a year ago for me as a client was probably one of the best things I did for myself when it came to developing myself as a coach and it's something that I wanted to do for years and years and I'd never like like have the confidence to do it but then seeing how other coaches operate like Emma and Andy and Shona like it 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 really really helped I think that along with other things like investing in yourself whether that's like a course like I did EIQ I feel like I'm advertising <laughs> all of Emma's businesses right now but it, it helps it helps massively and like Emma said it takes that pressure off of you when you're helping so many people every day and you're helping other people make decisions it's nice to take that pressure off yourself and have someone there who's helping you make those decisions so yeah I think it's invaluable really yeah, yeah I think what stops a lot of people is ego right it is that notion of well I know I know just as much or I know more than this person so they couldn't possibly coach me and I think realizing that it's actually such a small percentage is about knowledge it depends yeah. on the client like if you've got a very new client then maybe a larger percentage at least initially is about the knowledge that you're gaining from joining commit six for example but we've got clients who are coaches and who know the basics of energy balance and things and it's not that they're learning that it's all of the support that they get from being on commit to six so different people get different things from the program that you have to not come in with an ego of I know best and I'm not going to listen to anyone else or like we're and obviously we're so open to being questioned like we actually love being questioned but I think it says a lot about a trainer as well when they're like oh yeah I want to learn like that's your your biggest barrier to getting better as a coach is your own ego if you think that you've already learned everything and you don't have anything left to learn 
you're going to be a shit coach. I put up a good quote about that um, on my Instagram story from Tim. Is it Tim Pello? Um, young professionals strive to impress old professionals with how much they know, while old professionals strive to share with everyone how much they don't know. And I think that's exactly it. It's just the ego thing. Like you know, I'll be I'll be honest. When I was when I first started out, I probably would be in that had I been in that category. I don't need a coach. I can do it myself. But the more I've developed, the more I understand, the more I want to learn. I want to learn from other people. I want to experience other um, other ways of running running how people run business, how they set up programs, how they design nutrition plans, all that kind of stuff. You know, and it's, it's it is invaluable. You know, having you know we're very lucky in the fact that we have you know us as a group that we can bounce off each other with. But you know, if you're starting out in the industry as a starting off on yourself as a an self-employed personal trainer you know it can be quite a daunting place to be and to take on something like commit to six even as a client coming on as a client you learn so much about your business you learn so much about yourself moving forward and understand that actually being coached isn't about it's you know it's about investing in yourself and also taking the time away because you know, if, how many programs do you write in a week? How many clients do you see? Do you then want to go around and start doing doing your own programming? I don't. It's like take that away from me. Like that's it's like a busman's holiday. I'm I don't want to go on that. I don't want to do that. I want somebody else to take that away. So it's it's exactly as you said. That's nothing to do with me. It's away from my control, and it means that especially stuff like programming and exercises that I dislike just things like that just like little simple things that oh if I write my own programs I'll not put it behind because I don't really like it but if it's yeah. in there bloody well doing it simple as that yeah or changing your mind about goals every 10 minutes oh I want to build muscle and they're like no I think I'll diet again oh, and like, no, no 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 like we're not doing that this is a long-term plan and this is yeah. what this is what we need to do I also think like if if as a personal trainer you're not you don't value coaching enough to invest in yourself, then you shouldn't be selling coaching. Like you're probably doing something wrong in the way that you're delivering your coaching. And you probably should figure out what that is. Cause if you don't value enough, value it enough that you want to invest in it yourself, then that's a problem in itself, I think. Yeah. Okay. Should we do one last question? Did you find them, Catherine? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to choose the best one now because it's the last question. No pressure. Make it a creatine one. That's exactly what I was going to say. How much creatine should I take and when? Creatine ones. I wish I did. Um, (laughs) Right now. Okay. uh, uh, Oh my God. Um, Okay. No, I've got a a good one. Um, uh, I really struggle. Um, with going over to friends and not overeating and over drinking my daily allowance to be fair I didn't really skip a meal because I know it would have made me super hungry wait what am I reading what am I doing (laughs) I do this all the time and like there's not enough punctuation in this question basically the question is about social gatherings and how um preparing yourself for them or tackling food abundance in social gatherings um and if we have any personal ways or tips that we've prepared ourselves when we've felt tempted to go over calories good question i think like pre-preparing in your head what what you are gonna have so if you're like yeah i'm gonna allow myself to have three beers and three slices of pizza then you can you kind of know going into it 
what you're doing as opposed to just like winging it and turning up and being like oh I might have a bit of something and a bit of this but I haven't really like allocated that in my head so I think going in knowing to an extent what you're going to do and holding yourself accountable to yourself in that situation and that becomes easier and easier because the first time you're like oh do I really trust myself and then you're like oh I did that when it wasn't so bad and I actually enjoyed myself and I didn't overeat and I didn't feel bad about it after um and then the next time you're like oh well I did it last time so I can do it this time and that that sort of trust in yourself grows so I would have a bit of a plan beforehand that'd be my top tip Andy um yeah no I think I think pre-planning planning your indulgences um always a good plan to do um I think for me my my one would probably be um the de- de- developing a bit of um willpower slash stubbornness and not being taken away with peer pressure because we do get that quite a lot where people are like oh I just get carried away because I'm with my friends well that's fine but you need to rein that in that's time for you to pull the big the adult pants on and go I'm done I'm finished um I'm not going to have any more um and unfortunately it's the, the meme that we all love the dog walking itself sometimes you've got to adult yourself this is just the way life is we can't expect other people you can't have the little devil and the angel on your shoulder going you can do it you can't do it you've got to do that yourself so yeah that's probably my tip is a bit of, a bit of willpower and stubbornness yeah and remember that like you can have a great time without overeating I think that's something that people forget. Like, oh, but I'll be the boring one that's not doing this, this, and this. It's like, no, you can enjoy yourself and have a great time and not have to massively the overeat. F- the food doesn't have the personality you do. <laughs> no, oh, that's a quote. <laughs> that's that's tomorrow's tough love or whatever. But real talk. Real talk. Um, I think like one Catherine. thing that I would add on to that is, um, I know sometimes you can't plan ahead. Uh, you, know, you don't know what food's going to be there so using mindful eating practice can or techniques sorry can be good in those situations so like eat to fullness or like the guys have said maybe just go to the toilet and do a little bit um, of affirmations <laughs> what? just you know a little bit of mindful affirmations in the toilet before don't eat the burger don't eat the burger don't eat the you burger. are a you strong eat- independent woman and you can say no to that second burger <laughs> yes <laughs> yes okay lovely 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 well we have some very exciting news which is that commit six will be open for signups soon ish so you need to go to esgfitness.co.uk in order to be on the waiting list and that's all we'll be back later in the week to answer the rest of the questions and if you have liked and have you can't have you shut us off yet i've not shut you off you can go oh, Andy. Fine then. if you've liked the podcast please do share it on instagram and pop on to wherever you get your podcast from and drop us a five star rating because if there's a six we would have got six but there's only five so we can only have five so that also helps us be more visible to everybody so we can help the world Thanks, guys. Ciao.